Hi, and welcome to The Final Wake Up. I'm your host, Madison Palika, holistic health coach, certified HeartMath mentor, published author of a number one Amazon new release, and creator of eBooks and courses that help you become the best you possible. I am passionate about bringing light to a world full of darkness and confusion. After becoming deathly ill, as well as severely anxious, and having doctors give me no solutions, I had to find my own way to health. I was mind blown by the things that I was finding. And I became obsessed with helping other people find health and happiness outside of the system too. I'm here to help you become happy and empowered so that you can also live a life full of meaning. You will love the final wake up if you're ready to dodge the traps that this world has set for you. If you want more, you can head to my Instagram page at madison.polika. Join my club at the link in my bio to be the first one to know about sales, product launches, life updates, and to get early access and discounts. And now on to today's episode. Hi guys. It's been a while since I've done an actual podcast episode. I've been so busy putting together this ex-Mormon resource course. But yeah, this has probably been like six months in the making at this point, and I'm finally launching it in May. Who even knows if it'll be totally finished by the time I officially launch it? Because there is so much stuff that I am like continually learning, continually finding out about the church or its history or things that they're currently doing, like things that are currently in the news about the church. There's a lot going on. So I am going to launch it in May and I'm thinking I'm going to do maybe a month or so where the price is very, very cheap. So I just want anyone who's interested to be able to get in this. And there's going to be 16, at least 16 modules, you know, talking about the history of the church, my story in the church, people in the church, talking about Joseph Smith, different prophets, their ties to Freemasonry. I'm talking about stuff that's in the news about them, how they use their money. And then I'm also talking about ways that Mormon doctrine can contradict itself or ways that it contradicts the Bible. And then I kind of go into how I found God outside of the Mormon church um, because, you know, I didn't know if he existed. The church made me kind of hate Christianity. So I've been really diving deep into all of this stuff. It can be very emotional and very taxing, but I'm so excited to get it out there. So that'll be in May. You can join my email list um, on my Instagram. Go to the link, join the club. You'll get all of the discounts, offers, any like sale um, information, but so you'll be the first to know about the course and you'll get a special discount, but yeah, so I've just been working so hard on that. I decided to release a podcast episode, episode 51, right before this, just of my story and it's taken directly from the course, so you'll see that in the first module, but yeah, so that is where I've been. Everything in my life has been so spiritually centered lately. Um, I know I call myself the holistic health coach, and sometimes people will ask me, like, how those two things work together. No, not Russia calling me and ruining my recording. <laughs> um, but yeah, people will be like, why are you talking about Jesus when you're a health coach? But truly, spirituality, we live in a spiritual reality. Spiritual reality, okay? And if you aren't subscribing, I guess, 
to the correct kind of spirituality, it can lead to a lot of issues in your life, especially mental and emotional problems that then lead to health problems. So, like, for instance, in Utah, highest Mormon population in the entire country, right? And because this spirituality is damaging, we lead the numbers for porn, we lead the numbers for child abuse, I believe it was. I'm going to have to check on that one, but I think that's what it is. We're leading in suicide rates, and not just suicide, but youth suicide. So the top cause of death, ages 11 to 17, are from suicide, leading in depression, opioid addiction. There's, there's no other common factor besides the spirituality that runs rampant here. So it really is so important to have the right spirituality at the center of your life, which is why I'm doing this series on the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. You know, the God question is confusing and it takes a lot of time and emotional energy to even just think about it or to pursue it. And I think a lot of people wonder, is there a God or is this just like a way that people have been controlling people and like keeping the patriarchy alive? Because that's what I used to believe. So look at the way I'm holding this cup. Anyways, this is the third part in the Atheist series. And I'm so sorry, I must not have had the actual book with me when I was recording last time, or the last two times, because I was saying like, okay, chapter one and chapter two, to be totally honest, those past two podcasts were on the introduction and the preface, so I didn't even get into chapter one, guys. So now I'm finally getting into chapter one, and this chapter, finally getting into chapter one, and it's called, Can We Handle the Truth? So we demand truth, right? We demand truth from our loved ones, from our doctors, financial advisors, from courts, from our employees, from our employers. We demand the truth from the government, from teachers. We demand the truth on food labels. And we just expect to be told the truth. So why is it that truth, like objective, factual truth, pretty much holds no value when it comes to religion or spirituality? Because these days it's like, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Or I'm so happy that you found your truth. How does that work? It's like the only area of life where we don't actually believe that there is truth. And so we just call everything truth. And it makes no sense because we should be demanding truth in spirituality. You know, it's the most important factor of our entire lives. Most people reject religion or God because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to be held accountable to moral standards or to religious doctrine. So we love truth when it enlightens us, but when it convicts us, we hate it. We don't want to be told that we're doing anything wrong, right? So the authors call this cultural schizophrenia, and the cure is finding out what is truth. Can truth be known? Can truth about God be known. And if it can, so what? Who cares? The cure to the cultural schizophrenia is answering those questions and coming to a common understanding. Because truth is absolute. It's not relative. Truth is discovered, not invented. And it exists regardless of us knowing it and regardless of us believing it. Truth will always stay the same despite our changing beliefs. Beliefs don't change facts. 
I'm going to say that again. Beliefs don't change facts. Facts over feelings, always. So people will say, truth doesn't exist. Well, is that statement true? Because if the statement, truth doesn't exist, is true, then that contradicts itself, and that would mean that there is a truth that exists. So it's self-defeating. You can't say, truth doesn't exist. It literally doesn't meet its own criteria, and it's just complete nonsense. So I want to look at page 42, and this is a conversation between one of the authors and the guy who claims himself to be an atheist. So he says, you're an atheist? That's right. Well, are you absolutely sure there's no God? He paused and says, well, no, I'm not absolutely sure. I guess it's possible there might be a God. So then you're not really an atheist, then. You're agnostic. Because atheist says, I know there is no God. And an agnostic says, I don't know whether there's a God. Yeah, alright, so I guess I'm agnostic then. And he says, this is real progress. With just one question, we moved from atheist to agnostic. But he still had to figure out what kind of agnostic this guy is. So he asks, Don, what kind of agnostic are you? He laughs and says, what do you mean? A minute ago, I was an atheist. I have no idea what kind of agnostic I am. He says, okay, well, there's two kinds. There's an ordinary agnostic who says he doesn't know anything for sure. And then there's the honorary agnostic who says, I can't know anything for sure. And he says, okay, I'm the second kind. You can't know anything for sure. The author recognizes the self-defeating claim. You know, you can't know truth. Well, then how do you know that that statement is true? So he says, Don, if you say that you can't know anything for sure, then how do you know that for sure? What do you mean? How do you know for sure that you can't know anything for sure? He says, I could see the light bulb come on, but I decided to add one more point. You can't be a skeptic about everything because that would mean you would have to doubt skepticism. But the more you doubt skepticism, the more sure you become. So he finally says, okay, I guess I really can know something for sure. I must just be an ordinary agnostic where I just don't know anything. So now, now they're getting somewhere. With just a few questions, he moved from atheist to agnostic to being an agnostic who just doesn't know. So he continues, now that you can know, why don't you know that God exists? He says, well, no one has shown me any evidence. Well, would you be willing to look at some evidence? Sure. Like, this is so powerful. Use, you can literally start to use this when you're uh, evangelizing to people, you know, people who don't believe in God or don't think that there is a God. You can start to just take this script and ask them these simple questions to move them further down the line. So this guy is willing to look at the evidence and it says that this is the best type of person to talk to because they're actually willing and have an open mind and an open heart. It says being willing is essential. Evidence cannot convince the unwilling. So recognize this very first. If you're talking to someone who's not willing, cut off the conversation because it's never going to go anywhere, unfortunately. So he eventually gave him this book called Who Moved the Stone? 
Um, the guy who wrote it was an author who set out to write a book refuting Christianity and then instead actually ended up becoming convinced by the evidence that it was indeed true. And it says, in fact, the first chapter of this book, Who Moved the Stone, is called The Book That Refused to Be Written. Um, so he describes the evidence as very convincing. He gave this guy the book, had the guy read it. This guy ended up accepting Jesus Christ as a savior. So it's incredible. So the next question is, okay, well, maybe there's a God, but whoever said that it's the God of Christianity? Like, why can't the God of all religions be true? Or why isn't the God of Islam true, you know? Hi, my fellow truth seekers. I just wanted to pop in very quickly and let you know that my email list is begging for you to join it. This little insider exclusive club is for you. If you're dying to know what I'm gonna launch next and if you want early access and special discounts, you can join today at the link in my Instagram bio at madison.halika. All right, back to the episode. So there's another story on the next page of this book. And it's about a student who is in a seminary professor's class. As soon as the pastor started, the Bible, or the student realized that this pastor was actually contradicting the Bible. So on this side, we're going to have the pastor. On this side, we'll have the student. So the pastor begins, the theme of my sermon this morning is that all religious beliefs are true. The student squirmed in his seat as the pastor went on to assure each member of the congregation that every religious belief they had was true. When the sermon was over, the student wanted to slip out unnoticed, but the heavyset robed pastor was waiting at the door, bear-hugging each passing congregant. Son, the pastor boomed upon greeting the student. Where are you from? Actually, I'm from Bowling Green, sir. I'm home on break from seminary. Seminary, good. So, what religious beliefs do you have, son? I'd rather not say, sir. Why not? Because I don't want to offend you, sir. Oh, son, you can't offend me. Besides, it doesn't matter what your beliefs are. They're true. So, what is it that you believe? Okay, the student relented. He leaned toward the pastor, cupped his hand around his mouth, and whispered, Sir, I believe that you're going to hell. The pastor's face turned bright red as he struggled to respond. I, uh, I guess I uh, made a mistake. All religious beliefs cannot be true because yours certainly aren't true. It says, indeed, as the pastor realized, religious beliefs can't all be true because many religious beliefs are contradictory. They teach opposites. It says, in fact, world religions actually have more contradictory beliefs than complementary ones. The notion that all religions teach basically the same thing, that we ought to love one another, demonstrates a very serious misunderstanding of world religions. Now, people think this because religions have a similar moral code. But it's not because it's the religion being true. It's because humans are created with a conscience. You know, we have this moral code literally designed inside of us. We all just inherently know murder is wrong. You know, nobody had to teach us that. We just know it. It's inherent because God created us with this internal compass, this conscience. Some major differences in world religions are that Jews, Christians, and Muslims believe there is one God who is a creator God. Hindu and New Age believe that everything is God. Hindu believes that evil is an illusion, and Christians believe that evil is very much real. 
Christians are saved by faith. Others are saved by doing good things. And this is also where the Mormon religion stands. So, okay, if all of these world religions are different, there's no, there's no compromising between the people who believe these things because they contradict each other, right? And that's something that people will always hate about Christianity is that it's exclusive. Every religion is exclusive. Muslims fully believe that non-Muslims are going to hell the same way that Christians do. But, you know, we're, we're preached to by our leaders, especially government leaders in the media these days, to be tolerant of everyone's beliefs, but they're intolerant of Christians. But we should be tolerant of Muslims who believe that we're going to hell, but if Christians believe we're going to hell, then that is totally unacceptable. Like, how does this even work? That makes zero sense. So there's a big difference between truth and tolerance. Some religious beliefs must be wrong, but in the tolerance regime, you know, that reigns over the whole world today, you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that some people's religious beliefs are wrong. The thing about tolerance, though, is that the definition is slowly evolving. Tolerance used to mean that you put up with the things that you believe are false, but now tolerance is starting to mean that you accept everything and that everything is true. It can all be true. So as for respecting religious differences, sure, that, that is great. That is a great way to practice tolerance. But accepting all of the different religious beliefs as true, that's not being tolerant. Is it the truth that all non-Muslims, even those tolerant of Muslims, should be killed? Because that's in their belief system. Or what about religions that practice child sacrifice? You know, the witches or... The Satanists, they're a religion. Should they be respected? Should we tolerate them as being the truth? Should we tolerate child sacrifice as being an acceptable way to worship? You know, absolutely not. Those beliefs are not true. So it all comes back to that elephant parable. I believe I talked about this in part number one. It could be part number two, I'm not sure, but I, I've talked about this before. And maybe it appears that the truth in religion can't be known, but the opposite of that is actually true. So the authors reiterate this elephant parable on page 48, where it says, at first glance, it might appear that the existence of so many contradictory beliefs just reinforces the elephant parable, namely that the truth in religion cannot be known, but exactly the opposite is the case. To refresh your memory, in this parable, an elephant is being examined by six blind men. Each man feels a different part of the elephant and then reaches a different conclusion about the object in front of him. One grabs the tusk and says, this is a spear. Another holds the trunk and says, oh, it's a snake. One hugging the leg claims, this is a tree. And the blind man holding the tail thinks, oh, I have a rope. The one on the ear says, this must be a fan. And the one leaning on the elephant's side is certain that this is a wall. The blind men are said to represent world religions because they each come to a different conclusion about what they're sensing. Like each blind man, we are told that no one religion has the truth. Religious truth must be relative to the individual. It's subjective, not objective. And this might seem persuasive until you ask yourself one question. What's the perspective of the one telling the parable? 
Hmm, let's see. The one telling the parable appears to have an objective perspective of the entire proceeding because he can see that the blind men are mistaken. Exactly. In fact, he wouldn't know that the blind men were wrong unless he had that objective perspective of what was right. So if the person telling the parable can have an objective perspective, why can't the blind men? They could. If they suddenly could see, they too would realize that they were originally mistaken and that it's really an elephant in front of them, not a wall, a fan, or a rope. We too can see the truth in religion, but unfortunately, many of us deny that there's truth in religion because we are blind. And a more unfortunate aspect, a lot of us aren't even necessarily blind, but we're unwilling to see. As the song The Amazing Grace goes, I once was blind, but now I can see. That's how it is in Christianity. You realize that your entire life, you were one of those blind men feeling the elephant, and then suddenly, the elephant is shown to you, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not blind anymore. I know what I'm looking at. I know the truth now. So in summary, one, despite the relativism that emanates from our culture, truth is absolute, exclusive, and knowable. To deny absolute truth and its knowability is self-defeating. Number two, any statement that's unaffirmable because it contradicts itself must be false. Relativists are defeated by their own logic. An example of these statements are, there is no truth. Is that true? All truth is relative. Is that a relative truth? You can't know truth. How do you know that that's truth then? They are self-defeating and therefore can't be used as an argument. Number three, truth isn't dependent on our feelings or our preferences. Something is true whether we like it or not. Number four, contrary to popular opinion, major world religions do not all teach the same things. They have essential differences and only superficial agreements. All religions cannot be true because they teach opposites. And lastly, number five, since logically all religions can't be true, we cannot subscribe to the new definition of tolerance that demands we accept the impossible idea that all religious beliefs are true. We are, of course, to respect the beliefs of others, but lovingly tell them the truth. After all, if you truly love and respect people, you will tactfully tell them the truth about information that may have eternal consequences. So that's all <laughs> for actual real chapter one. In the next episode, I'll be going through chapter two, and this is called, Why Should Anyone Believe Anything at All? It says, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. So this is a whole chapter dedicated to talking to skeptics who say that truth in religion can't be known. It's going to address people like David Hume and Immanuel Kant, who think that they disproved the uh, idea of religious truth. But so we're going to talk about their arguments and why they're wrong. So I'm so excited and I will see you in the next episode of the Atheist series. Have a good day. Send this to someone who would appreciate it. Love you all and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Final Wake Up. I hope this episode sparked a flame in you to march forward in your journey for truth, health, 
happiness, and meaning. If you want to dive even deeper down the rabbit hole, go to my Instagram at madison.polika. There, I have so many highlights dedicated to spreading even more information and value. You can also join the club with my email list, linked in my bio, to stay up to date on all the latest news, sales, and new offerings. Or if you want to talk to me personally, please send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. If you love this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave an amazing review. Bonus points if you share this to your story and write what you learned. Tag me in it so that I can connect and see how this has actually helped you. If you know somebody who would really appreciate this or somebody who desperately needs to hear what I talked about in this episode, please send this to them. Together, we can bring light to this world full of confusion and help people thrive. Thank you and see you next time.